The first reading is Genesis 2, verses 10 to 15, which is found on page 4. And the second reading is Revelation 21, verse 22, to chapter 22, verse 5, which can be found on page 1938. Genesis 2, verse 10 to 15. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Epishan. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of the Asher. And the fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now turning to Revelation on page 1938. Chapter 21, verse 22 to chapter 22, verse 5. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of the God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve them. They will see his face, and his head will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Owen. Home. It's one of the most powerful, emotionally loaded words in the English language. For some of us, that word home brings up all sorts of anxiety and fear because home was not a pleasant place. For some of us, that that idea of home and that word home is loaded with with good feelings and, and with joy. And we look forward to coming home, whether at the end of a a busy day or a busy season, that home becomes that place of rest for us. Home. If you pay attention to literature anywhere from, from young kids' literature on up, you hear this theme of home being woven all the way through it. It comes in Dr. Seuss's book, Are You My Mother? It shows up in Maurice Sendak's book, Where the Wild Things Are. It's in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and in The Hobbit that came before it. It's, it shows up in John Steinbeck's book, East of Eden. 
That book, Steinbeck's book, East of Eden, has two families, the, the Hamilton family and the Trask family as they're in California, and it, it tells this story of them making home and losing home again and again over several generations. That sense of where do I belong? Where is my home? What does it mean to be at home in this place among these people? Steinbeck said he, in the background of that story of that book, he had in mind Cain and Abel, home gained and home lost. If we listen to the biblical account, and especially to that passage that Owen just read for us from Genesis, we see God in the beginning creating this home for us, creating a home for himself even, a place where God would dwell with his people and that, that God would be able to interact with him. And it is an incredible, bountiful, abundant land. It's a land that starts with an image that we can't understand. One water source leading to four different rivers. Normally, you have four rivers coming together to form one bigger river, or all sorts of small streams coming together to form one. But here, it's one head, waterhead, forming four different rivers and going out. And the author of, of Genesis is describing this as a way to say, this is how rich and abundant this land of God is. It overflows Onyx and resin and gold and all sorts of rich resources in this land. And he places Adam in that land to work the ground, to develop it, to grow it, that it would be a home for God and his people and all of creation would flourish together in God's presence. But we know that home didn't last long, don't we? It wasn't too long after that before Adam and Eve uh, abandoned their homekeeping role, that homemaking, homekeeping role they had in creation, and they said, we don't want to do any of that anymore. We just want to take it for ourselves. And within a generation of them, you have Cain and Abel, who in the process of making their home turn against, one turns against the other, and we have murder, death, being ushered into a place where life and abundant life had been. Home shattered, home wrecked, home destroyed. Within a few generations, as you continue to read the story in Genesis, that violence spills out. It becomes part of why God sends the flood because there's so much wickedness and evil across the face of the earth. The home God created to be bountiful and good and loving is shattered, destroyed. As one people group try to take over another and another take over another. If you listen to the story of the people of Israel, God promises a home to Abraham and says, I'm going to make a home and make you into a people that, that the whole world may eventually be blessed. In some sense, God is starting that process over. I'm going to reclaim the land and reclaim the people and, and reclaim my home. And God begins to do that work. 
But God's people, even though they're ushered into the promised land, soon forsake God and turn against God. And, and God takes them out of the land. One of the prophets, in talking about that process of how they've lost their home, says the land vomited them out. The land itself, that homeland, said no more. The wickedness and violence in this land, the turning against one another, the the evil that was being perpetrated against especially foreigners and the poor and widows and orphans was intolerable. God removed them from the land. And you have this back and forth story throughout the Old Testament of God's people being renewed by God and then turning against God and leaving the land and God renewing them and bringing them back to the land and God continuing the fight to bring this place about where there would be a home for God's people. We've experienced that sense of homelessness in our world too. That sense of, of upheaval that happens. Many of us who gather here today have in our family history stories, very personal stories of how Hitler looked at what he called his fatherland and said it's too small and began to attack other peoples around him throughout Europe, taking over their lands, ripping people from their homes, killing people at will. Many of us here or our grandparents or or parents fled from that space. We ended up here in Canada. My family, my family has been in the States for a long time and I grew up in a country that if you read the founding documents was founded on violence and white supremacy. Right in the founding documents of the United States, you have in there that black people are only three-fifths of a person. And you have native people being called savages. A whole industry of slavery that was, was evolved to, in order to build up the United States involved ripping people from their homes, treating them as property, taking them here to the North America and abusing them in order to make an economically comfortable life for a few white people. That runs in the background And here in Canada where we live, we live in a land that has been marked by a bunch of broken treaties. It's been marked by residential schools where people who, like us, have called upon the name of God and then turned around and took native persons, ripping those youth from their homes and putting them in schools where they suffered more abuse. That homelessness That brokenness is part of the stories and the fabric of the places we live and the story and fabric of some of our own lives. We are living, actually, social scientists tell us this, we are living in the time of most human upheaval at any point in history. There are more people who have been displaced from their homes, either for war, uh, for religious reasons, and persecution, or because of global warming effects and climate change effects that have made their homeland inhabitable. And we have people, millions and millions of people, whose homes they can never go back to. And they're fleeing and flooding other countries, trying to find a place to call home. And many of those countries are struggling with, well, what does that mean for our homes? 
We live in a time that is marked by homelessness like never seen before. It strikes me then that this gospel story of God creating a home in the beginning actually shows up in the the midst of of what Christ was doing to reconcile us to God. Do you remember that that night he was betrayed? Jesus is sitting around with his disciples and and John tells us he's he's kind of giving them the last words of, of wisdom and encouragement and he tells them not to be afraid. He's saying, don't be afraid because I'm going ahead of you I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you, to make a home for you in my Father's house. And he says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. God, Jesus Christ, in in the flesh, as he's about to face the cross, as he's about to die for our sins, reminds us and, and reminds his disciples that what he's really at work doing is restoring our home with God. Restoring us to a place where we can dwell with God again, where we can experience the fullness and the abundant life that God had intended in the beginning. And, and one of those parables that Jesus told points to this as well. You may remember the parable of the prodigal sons and how the one son left and abandoned his home and lost his home, that place he had with his father, and along the way begins to be restored to that home with his father. And as he's restored, the son who had, who had stayed home but was never really at home was also offered that hand of restoration. Come into the father's house. Dwell with the father. Be at one with the father in his home. He has an abundant life for us that we so often are missing out on. Whether physically homeless or spiritually homeless, we are far from God and in both senses, God in Jesus Christ as he dies on the cross and as he's raised from the, from the dead is at work to reestablish our home with God. This is the good news that the, the violent ways of the world are going to come to an end. That the violence that is at, at work in the world, ripping people apart and ripping them from their homes and creating this global homelessness will one day end. That God in Jesus Christ is making all things new and we hear that just before Jesus goes to the cross. I am going ahead of you to make a place for you in my Father's house. We catch a glimpse of what that place will be like in the the last passage that Owen read. It's again a a land that that boggles our mind. It it has a tree in the middle of that land uh, with a river flowing in it. and And the tree is producing its crop 12 times a year. It's an abundance that our minds cannot comprehend. How a tree could be so fruitful. And and the leaves of that tree are going to be for the healing of the nations. Nations that have fought against each other and have fought to take over land from each other and have fought to make a home for themselves over against everyone else are going to be healed. It even, even talks in there about how the kings 
The kings of the earth will bring their treasures of all the kingdoms into that new heaven and new earth. Instead of fighting to keep resources for themselves, the kingdoms of the earth will work together to bring the resources together in God's kingdom. It's a beautiful image of a, of a reversal of all the brokenness that's happened. And it, it's punctuated by saying there's going to be no more curse. All those things that have been wrong, all those things that have been broken are going to be undone. And we're going to see that day when all of God's kingdom, all of God's creation flourishes together. It's a beautiful picture, an abundant picture of what God is at work even now doing in Jesus Christ. So the question for us is, how do we live in the meantime? How do we live in the land here in Canada? I think part of it is we celebrate on days like today. This is the place, the land that the Lord has brought us to live in. One way or another, the Lord has brought us here. I thought we were coming here for two years. We've been here nine now. Some of you may have similar stories, but you've been here for 50 years. Or 60 or 70 even though you had never imagined coming to Canada before that. This is the land the Lord has brought us to. Let's rejoice, let's celebrate in the goodness God gives us and the freedoms that we have here, which far exceed freedoms found elsewhere in the world. We have been given a good land, a land rich in resources and abundance. This is a place to marvel at God's beauty and God's creation and to celebrate His goodness. So one We live here as a people who celebrate. But two, we live here recognizing the story of the people of the lands who have lived here even before we came here. And that their stories are marked with brokenness. And I believe that we are called as God's people living in this land to get to know the stories of the First Nations people around us. To understand how they have been hurt and injured along the way. To learn from them about what it means to care for the land to enter into those places where we can bring about reconciliation, to be a people who are concerned with others who have lived in this land before us. This passage, as, uh, these passages as well as, as the flow of Scripture bring in that refrain again and again of, of God loves the foreigner and, and God loves you and calls you to love the foreigner for once you were foreigners. How many of us here are immigrants? We have the storyline. We are an immigrant people, and if it's not we ourselves, it may be the generation before us or two generations before us that were immigrants to this land. We are called to be a people who welcome in refugees and asylum seekers and others who are migrating from other places in the world. We are to be that type of people who are helping to make home for others, especially when their homes have been upended. That we are a people, a homemaking people, because our God is a homemaking God. He's one who made home in the beginning, who, who worked through Jesus Christ to bring about home again, and is still at work in Christ and in his spirit to bring about that day when there will be a home for all people. All tribes and nations under heaven who will gather around God's throne and, and will be able to praise God together. And I think one more thing. 
One more thing we're called to. Brian modeled it in our prayer this morning. To pray for those who lead in governments and nations. To pray for those who are leading in, in global corporations and, and in places that, that move and operate in such a way that they affect the lives and the homes of others throughout the world. To be a people who pray for those in leadership whose decisions impact layers and layers and thousands and millions of people. To be a people of prayer for those who are in power and for some of us. For some of us listening up, youth. For some of us to get the training and the skills so that we can participate on those levels of figuring out how to help with those migration patterns throughout the world, to come alongside those who are trapped in generational and national poverty, to figure out how governments can work together instead of against each other, to be a people who by our very lives and careers and occupations anticipate that day when all nations will be healed and all nations will work together in the kingdom of God. We are caught up and an incredible storyline of God's mission. And it's a good gift that God's giving us, that gift of home. And even though we've lost that home and we felt the homelessness and the brokenness of this world, we are assured that through Christ's death and resurrection and through his promised return, that home will be restored. And in the meantime, we're called to be a people who make home for others. Let's pray. God, you are faithful. You are faithful from beginning to end. No matter what we do, you respond to us with faithfulness and with goodness and with that gracious welcoming arms of yours, of your son Jesus Christ spread on the cross to to welcome us back into your home and into your family as your children Help us in response to your great love for us. To be a people who make home for others. Who spread our our lives and our arms and, and all our resources wide. So that others may experience your love and your home with them. Give us a deep longing to work with others and to collaborate with others in such a way that, that all people will experience a place to call home in your kingdom and in your presence. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our big older brother who is still at work preparing a place for us. Come Lord Jesus, come quickly we pray. Amen.